the day that Robbie Lawler was killed, he arrived at that house, we believe, in the expectation that he was to pick up money that he was owed. When he went in through the front door, the gunman came in through the back door. He ran out the front door, tried to get out the front gate, but was gone down in the garden. In terms of the, the criminals and the people that myself and you write about, there is certainly no border anymore. I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The murder of Robbie Lawler in a Belfast housing estate continues to be investigated with the PSNI and prosecutors insisting that they have no interest in a suspected Dundon hit team named and identified during a bail hearing. The circumstances around the 2020 assassination of the notorious Dublin drug dealer marks an extraordinary merging of North and South criminals who would once have remained in their own territories on either side of the border. Today, I'm talking to Belfast Telegraph crime correspondent Alison Morris about the changing face of gangland about a double cross of epic proportions and about the peculiar actions of the Gardaí and the PSNI in the days around the killing that suggests that the two forces have issues in cooperation that the criminals do not. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Two guys before the courts up here in the north linked, well, they're charged in relation to the murder of uh, Robbie Lawler, but their lawyers are very anxious to get them bail and feel there's an unfairness as such that uh, they're the only two in custody. There is. It's Adrian Holland and a guy called Patrick Tear. Um, Adrian Holland would have been known to police, I suppose, is as much as we can say about that, given that he's before the courts. He's he's 39 and, and Patrick Tear. He's 47 as a mechanic. He's a man with a, a completely clear record. He's not someone who would have been on the police's radar at all. The The reason why they're charged in connection with the, the murder of Robbie Lawler and various bail hearings have taken place, they continually refuse bail. But during those bail hearings, there's never any suggestion that they were the gunman because we know they didn't mm. shoot Robbie Lawler because we know from what happened after that and what we do know is fact. But what... Um, what is being alleged is that they are involved in a joint enterprise type of murder, type of involvement in this murder. And the reason for that would be that Adrian Holland's house in Etna Drive, that was a house I believe that belonged to his deceased grandmother. He would stay in it sometimes. The house wasn't in great condition. It had been broken into a few times. The doors weren't always locked. Um, and he would have stayed there sometimes. And that was where the meeting that took place the day that Robbie Lawler was killed, he arrived at that house we believe, in the expectation that he was to pick up money that he was owed. And when he went in through the front door, the gunman came in through the back door. He ran out the front door, tried to get out the front gate, but was gone down in the garden. This was um, in broad daylight. Mm. It was on a very bright spring day. It was during, most people will remember, that, um, you know, that lockdown, that sort of spring-summer lockdown. But the there April was, 2020, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, there was children playing out in the street. Mm. You know, and I suppose what was so unusual is Ardoyne, where this took place, is, a, you know, a Republican heartland. This was a place that during the Troubles, it would have been very much um, a mainstream Republican heartland. It would have been a very sort of proud community. It's an interface community. It had more than its fair share of, of, 
of death and tragedy that took place you know, for anyone that remembers that Holy Cross school dispute, mm. that was in Ardoin very close to where this took place. So it's one of those areas that was used to conflict. But in terms of this sort of very high level criminality, because I suppose those streets were considered to be owned, if you like, by the, the IRA and be controlled by Republicanism during the Troubles and be policed by Republicans during the Troubles, you wouldn't have seen this type of high level gangland criminality. And people were genuinely shocked at the time that someone like Robbie Lawler, who at that time, let's face it, was the most notorious gangster in Ireland. Mm. You know, this was someone that was linked to the the murder of Keane Mulready Woods, a child, basically, in the eyes of the law. You know, a 17-year-old, you know, young runner for, you know, a drug gang who was dismembered. I mean, the most horrific of horrific killings. And the think that he was then in Ardoin. And the neighbours just didn't know. You know, people were yeah. going, we would never have known a person like that would be coming in and out of here undetected and it turns out he'd been living in Belfast for quite some time we know that he Lawler was, had Lawler had been living in Belfast for quite some time before this we know that he was obviously himself was wanted in terms of reprisal attacks the reprisal gangs he clearly believed he was safe bringing himself to Belfast before the lockdown happened he was quite often seen socialising in the cathedral quarter of Belfast nobody knew who he was he mm. was able to say he was telling people he was a car dealer um, and he was socialising around those sort of cobbled streets, which would be, you know, the I suppose the Temple Bar, if you like, uh, of Belfast. And he was staying in a, an apartment in the city centre, in quite a nice apartment block. Mm. And we know this because quite recently, um, during a, a field here, Bale Heron by Holland at the Defence, we were able to show that there was three men that were ca- captured on CCTV in the days before that killing on University Road in Belfast, very close to the apartment. And we know at that stage what they're claiming is that was the killer's stalking him out and that the the person who ended up being the gunman in charge of this was just 17 years of age at the time, which was um, Levi Keelan. And he was being taken to that um, location by his older relatives, um, Gerdon Dunn and Quincy Bramble, to look at Robbie Lawler so that he could identify him when they actually went to kill him days later. And Joe Brawley, the barrister, has put this before the courts. He has alleged that this, while he's looking for bail for his client. It did. It didn't It didn't go down too well with the judge, by the way, that Joe Brawley put this before the court. I mean, they're saying, well, sorry, this is, you know, you have come up with this, you know, this theory, but there's no proof to back this up. But when you look at what happened in the sequence of events, it's a theory that is not without it, without legs. You know, there's, there's quite a lot to back this up. So what else do we know for a fact? Well, we know that the that the Warren Crossan, who was arrested in the wake of the, the murder of Robbie Lawler and released with a charge, Warren Crossan was the son of a very high-profile distant Republican, Tommy Crossan. He was shot dead by rival dissidents um, when he would have been in his early 20s. At that time, he went on to become quite a high-level drug dealer. He owned a, a car sales business, which he used to launder money. Um, and he is also, through his family, through his mother's side, through his paternal side, he is, his mother is a traveller from Limerick and he has those Limerick connections mm-hmm. and it was considered at that time that it was Warren Crossan who had been doing the negotiations, Warren Crossan who had negotiated this deal with those who were the rival gang for Lawler, who wanted Lawler killed to say, well, we can take this right, not just away from you, take it right out of your jurisdiction, take it right across the border, mm. we'll have him killed, you box us off and you'll never hear any more about it, you know, not come knocking on your door. 
and sure wasn't this, you know, you can imagine for the, the rivals of Lawler who were finding it very difficult to get their hands on him, well, this must be man from heaven. You know, these boys in Belfast are going to do this for us. We'll let them go. Um, and that is what Brawley was insinuating during that bail hearing, that mm-hmm. they have the wrong people, that the people who were responsible were stopped by the police in the hours after Lawler was murdered and they were released. You see, this is the really peculiar part of it because um, from my understanding of it, the PSNI and the Gardaí were liaising together when, from the minute Robbie Lawler was murdered, obviously. Um, and actually, I remember it well because it was during lockdown and the people weren't allowed, you weren't allowed drive. Do you remember those days? You weren't yep. allowed to drive more than 10 kilometres or something. Bunkers. But we had a pass for journalists and I actually came up to, it was the first time I had been in Ardoin, which I believe, um, and came up to to cover the story. But, so these three members of what was the Dundon gang um, from Limerick, the notorious Dundons, had been arrested, but they'd been let go. And it was like, what were they doing up here? Then there was there was a kind of confusion because it turned out that in prison, Lawler had been, he had a lot of enemies. Lawler's life was under threat from a lot of people. And I think ultimately it was the conjoining of forces that ultimately, you know, created this big double cross and got him. But um, he had been minded by the Dundons. He had paid them for protection in prison. So there was a little bit of confusion. Were the Dundons with him? And did they flee when he was shot? Were they on his side or were they on, you know, another side? Now, when they were let go a couple of days later in the Republic, uh, the National Surveillance Unit had members of the gang, female members, under surveillance because they literally uh, caught them in, in the process of collecting what is believed to have been the money, the payment. And it's, it's I mean, the prosecution are still saying that there's no link to these people linking them to this murder, but yet we do have them on CCTV in the days before in Belfast. What were they doing, as you say? It was during lockdown. You decided that you had a much stricter lockdown yeah. than we had, where you really weren't allowed to go I know you guys didn't kilometers. give two hoots <laughs> No, we're, 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 we're generally a bit lawless up here and, and a yeah. bit resistant to um, being told what to do by authority. But um, at that time, you know, you could see that there had to be a reason why they were here. But when you started piecing that together, I think the, the crucial part of this is the inclusion of Warren Crossan. So Warren Crossan has links to the Dundon gang through his mother. His mother is an, mm. is an Irish traveller. She's originally from Limerick. These are, you know, people he would have known all his life. Um, and he is there. He is central to that killing of Lawler. He's arrested. His car is taken by police in the hours after it. He is later released without charge. But he also then meets a very sorry end the following year where he's gone down. Would Crossan have been um, somebody who... Lawler was seen with, collated with him. Were, were they mingling and mixing? I suppose when Lawler was up here, there was there was definitely mixing between them, and we know that there had been a meeting between them at some stage mm. as well. Um, and that was to do with, we believe, some kind of deal that was going on, some kind of drug deal and money exchange in hands. But was that all just being set up to try and lure Lawler up here? Was that a genuine, you know, criminal enterprise that was going on? What we do see here is we see a mixing of criminals. The, the border no longer exists mm. in terms of criminal activity. The you know the threat of paramilitaries doesn't seem to be bothering these people in the past. I mean, as you would know better than anyone, those Dublin-based criminals, those Drogheda-based criminals, avoided Northern Ireland like the plague because there'd be dragons up there and you don't want to be messing with those dissidents. They're armed 
Um, Republicans have guns. We don't want them involved in that. We'll just stay in our own territory. But in recent years, we've seen that completely melt away. And there is definitely, you know, a lot of cross-border activity in terms of those criminal gangs and even the guns that they're using. And we're seeing a lot of new weapons making their way into Northern Ireland, weapons that have no previous ballistics history that are clearly coming through, you know, a supply route and a channel that's coming straight in from from the south. So we assume these these guns are coming with the drugs, which are coming through Eastern Europe. They're mm. landing in, in the south and then they're making their way to Northern Ireland. And we're seeing them being used in, in various different killings here. And of course, we can see from the Regency trial, uh, Jerry Hutch has pleaded not guilty to the murder of David Byrne. But key to the evidence against him is this journey he takes up to the north with Jonathan Dowdall in the car. And they are meeting with dissidents. Now, there's a number of names have been mentioned during it. Um, but a lot of them are very well known dissidents. And they're meeting a sort of variety of them. And, and Hutch seems to have been meeting some of his own connections and all the rest of it. But they have with them, the states say, these AK-47s, which are described as yokes uh, in the tapes. And if you're to to believe the state that the yokes are the AK-47s, they're being traded as currency. And they're using them, they're giving them to the dissidents, or the plan is to give them to the dissidents, so as the dissidents will then do something for them, which is step in as a mediator um, with the Kinahan organisation. Now, you know, it's 2023, it seems daft to think that these dissidents could sort of tell the Kinahan command what to do. But that was back in 2016, you know. And like, would they ever have had that, you know, the dissidents? I mean, you sort of, when you hear... When you go back to the, I suppose, the professional IRA days, there was always a time when they would have had some connections with specifically Dublin-based criminals in terms of of assets because they would have been to be able to supply things like cars and weapons as well. Not when you had weapons coming through those traditional supply routes, but those AK-47s that were used in the Regency. I remember the first time I watched that footage and went, they're old IRA guns. I mean, those AK-47s all came from a very specific place during that time. You know, lots of them were decommissioned during the decommissioning process, but lots of them didn't make them into decommission and hovered themselves away. And every now and then one of them pops up um, they're old. You can see looking at them, they're very old weapons. But also with the, the hot stuff, there was obviously that link with Straban and the link with what would have been the real IRA not then, which mm. since merged become the new IRA. But we could see that there was links with them. Um, and, and we could see that with everything that, that panned out after that. But so you would suspect that the Hutch organisation got their hands on those guns previously from a previously, long time yeah, ago and had them somewhere yeah. stashed because there's been no evidence whatsoever about the origin of the guns and um, initially as the trial got underway I kind of presumed that they were after getting the guns from the dissidents but they weren't they, there's no evidence whatsoever No it was the other way they, around you think that around, they were yeah. Yeah, that they mm-hmm. were they were trading the, the guns with them and, and that's one thing that we have known from I suppose the, the welcome demise of dissident republicanism in the North is that their inability to rearm. We can see that if you look at the, the MI5 trial that's going on at the minute with the MI5 agent Dennis McFadden. A lot of that conversation was about how are we going to get new weapons? And they came up with all sorts of madcap plans. One was, we'll bomb Shannon Airport and then, you know, the, um, the Islamic terror group will be so glad that we've bombed somewhere the Americans are using that they'll, you know, oh, furnish us with see. thousands of, of weapons which will just magically appear from the Middle East. All sorts of mad ideas to try and get rearmed. And the fact that so many of those weapons, which would have been the very old provisional weapons that escaped decommission are either no use now because they're of such an age where they're not 
or they've already been found and they've been lifted in various different operations. So, I mean, if you look at that, I suppose that connection always existed, but this yeah. is something quite different. And and you, I remember at the time writing about the, the killing of Robbie Lawler and Ardoin and people actually coming on social media to troll me and saying, how dare you claim that Dublin, you know, criminals are in Republican Ardoin. We wouldn't have it. We wouldn't allow them. And I went, well, he's lying on the street dead yeah. in Ardoin. He is there and it is happening. And then what you have then is Warren Crossan, who was clearly up to his eyes in all of this, he is the middleman. He's the person you can see that is the conduit who's making all of this work. Mm. He's the person that's organising. He's the person that knew the Dundons. There's no suggestion that anyone who's charged, either Holland or Tear, would have known any of these people. Um, Holland may have, have had previous periods of, in prison, but it wouldn't have been in the South. He wouldn't have known them. Um, so the, the go-between is Warren Crossan. Mm. And Warren Crossan again was arrested but for some reason was released without charge too, but then went on to be shot dead in his in the street as he visited his mother in 2020. In and June is anyone charged in relation to Warren Crossan's murder? No, and I, I find it unlikely that anyone will be, will be charged about that. In the perspective, you know, there's been around six people who have been killed. A number of them have been due to fallouts within those different Republican organisations. But Warren Crossan and his close associate Mark Hall were both shot dead in West Belfast in St. James's. Warren Crossan, when his mother, when his father was murdered, Warren Crossan became the man of the house, if you like, and he was incredibly close to his mother. He was devoted to his mother. And he visited her at the same time every week, which was a pattern of behaviour that would come to cost him his life because we know that there was two gunmen who were waiting on him as he went to visit his mother. He spotted them and he started running them. Run, he started running. They ran after him in broad daylight in the middle of West Belfast, again, a place that would have been considered, you know, a Republican heartland. Mm. And they shot him down broad daylight in the street and then ran off. No one has ever been charged in connection with that. The following December, his friend Mark Hall, who was living in Drogheda, came up to Belfast again to visit his mother, to exchange Christmas presents, see his family before Christmas. And two gunmen, first of all, they tried to gain access to his house. His sister very bravely blocked the door. And they shot through the living room window and shot him. He died shortly afterwards in hospital. Now, those killings are loosely connected to what happened with Lawler in that what my sources said was, well, that was the, the end of Warren Cross. And we knew that he was involved in criminality. We knew he was involved in drug dealing. But when he was associated with bringing people like Robbie Lawler up to Belfast, bringing him into our community, well, that was it. It was time up for him. Also, it's my understanding that Warren Crossan, as he had become a bigger player in the criminal world, when his father died, he would have been known in and around there as a sort of petty criminal. But let's face it, he was mixing in circles far beyond petty criminality by the time he died, which meant that he also had access to firearms. And remember, somewhere in West Belfast or North Belfast sits a man who shot dead Warren Crossan's father. And Warren Crossan clearly held a grudge mm -hmm. against that. And I also think that there was a fear that he was going to get so big and so well-armed that he was going to come and start seeking revenge for his father and start so taking out those So were you saying Warren Crossan was essentially policed and taken out by a sort of a, 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 a Republican movement that still, to this day, will police drug dealers? It hasn't been claimed by anyone, so... You know, we always used to have this thing saying during the troubles, you know, no claim, no blame. You don't claim it. You don't. Nobody can come blaming you for it. But yeah, I mean, it is known that he was killed. He was killed by dissident Republicans. There was also other killings that were very similar 
um, if you like, in action. And then we had, after that, the killing of people like J.D. Donegan, who was a big player in the drugs trade. I mean, he his son went to a school in, in West Belfast, a, a sort of boys' grammar school. Um, West Belfast is a very working class, you know, being probably one of the most uh, sort of deprived electoral wards in terms of um, of um, economic growth, although things have got better, clearly. And he's sitting in a, an £80,000 Porsche outside his kid's school waiting on the child coming out. You could, you know, you could have spotted him a mile off. He stood out um, as someone who was involved in criminality. He had a legal business as a car validate, you know, car validating business. He was shot and again the killer walk, made off on foot. And then quite recently we've had the murder of Sean Fox in the DC a short time away in the Donegal Celtic Social Club. Again shot dead by two men who casually walked in on foot with their hoods up and scars on their faces, shot him multiple times in front of over 100 other punters who were in the bar drinking and walked off again on foot. And the same people are being linked to all these killings, including Warren Crossing. So there's clearly a sort of vigilante summary justice type um, effort going on up here in relation to those people. But what sealed Warren Crossing's death warrant? Well, it could have been that these people were th- thinking he was going to come and start taking revenge for his father now that he was operating in these high-level circles and clearly had access to guns? Or was it the fact that he was bringing people like Lawler into a Republican community and that he was seen then as someone who was, you know, responsible for a lot of the the problems that exist with drugs within those communities? There was no question that he would have been killed to avenge the murder of Robbie Lawler. Robbie wouldn't, Lawler wouldn't have had enough connections up here, essentially. He was almost a lone wolf, I think, when he died anyway. Even some of his own had reckoned he was completely out of control because of what happened with Keen Mulready Wood. I think there were some people who, who tried to say that that was it. But, I mean, if you live here and you know this place, where he was killed in St. James's, it's a, a sort of, I don't know, like a, what you would call a very old sort of housing estate. It's one of, you know, the original sort of Belfast housing estates. It has the bog meadows, which sit at the back of it, which lead onto the motorway. It is a rabbit warren of streets. And the killers who killed um, Warren Crossing knew how to get in and get out of those streets. And they disappeared without a trace. Um, and bear in mind, there was no um, getaway car used in this killing. You know, mm. would have been during the trouble. Someone had been shot. And then two hours later, we would have got a report that a car was burning, you know, a short distance away, a mile away, two miles away. These people came and they left on foot. They had local knowledge. Mm. There were people from that area who knew that area very well. There is no suggestion that anyone could just land here like aliens from the south and have that kind of local knowledge and be able to get in and get out on foot. So clearly they had some kind of support network set up in the nearby area. So if we hypothesize somewhat that there is a vigilante, loose group of dissidents who are sort of, I suppose, keeping the drug dealers at bay, Anybody who gets too big or too flashy, they may perhaps target. If that exists, is the motivation going to be to keep uh, Belfast and the North as drug-free as possible? Or is the motivation greed because it is a small region and there's only so much, you know, there isn't there isn't an yeah. infinite amount of money perhaps to go around and to share between them? Well, I mean... It is not a drug-free utopia, so clearly that's not working. Mm. But also, we do know that there are other dissident gangs who are taking a different route where they are taxing drug dealers. So, the you know, there was reports after the death of J.D. Donegan that he was paying up to £10,000 a month to a gang for not only the protection from them, but then the protection from other dealers. So you would get where, you know, you would be paying this extreme amount of protection to one armed group and you would be able to say... That person over there is my rival. 
and they would either go and tax them and take money off them or they would then shoot them and then they would no longer be your competition and then they would ask you for mm-hmm. more money. Um, but I mean, that does nothing, let's face it, to keep the streets drug free because if you're charging a drug dealer £10,000 a month, he just has to sell £10,000 a month more drugs to pay you and that's that's how that works, you mm-hmm. know. It's it's quite simple. So, you know, I think it would be wrong to probably say that we're, we're dealing with these sort of Robin Hood type characters here are keeping it all free. But I mean, I would say that there are different factions of dissident republicanism, some quite small, but there are some of them that are clearly using criminality for financial gain. And there's others who I do still think, whether it's misplaced or not, hold hold this fact that they are somehow defenders of the community. And then the absence of police being able to do anything about these people. And Warren Cross was arrested and released without charge. So I suppose the public perception is there's nothing being done about him in terms of mm. criminal justice outcome that they feel somehow empowered then that they could could take um could get rid of him this way. Going back to the murder of Robbie Lawler, and it is one of the most sensational, I think, stories in recent gangland history because of the amount of people that come together, yeah. we believe, to carry it out, because what had gone before it, the Drahada feud, uh, the murder of the teenager dismembered body, um, flip-flops and parts of his body being left near the home of a criminal we call Mr. Big. Um, And like, it is an extraordinary moment, I think, in gangland history when you see Lawler being here in the north, being shot dead in Ardoyne and the, the northern and sort of southern gangs literally coming together trusting one another enough with this double cross. Um, and it's really is a sign of things to come. Um, and I think it it really shows the urgency of uh, some form of agreement and how we police the border and how the PSNI and the Gardaí work together more closely. Well, there was, there was clearly a gap in intelligence when that car was stopped and those three people were questioned and let go. So that's how you can see that there would need to be much closer cooperation in terms of that because we no longer have criminals don't recognise the border and we could see that. That's again why you have to emphasise I suppose the war on crossing link was so important because you're saying this double cross that could have went wrong but when there's blood involved when there's family involved there's always a much less chance of that Mm -hmm. going wrong or of people informing on each other or if you know somebody giving the plot away ahead of time or them doing a double cross and that's why you can see that you know was this a family connection that led to this being set up but what I found amazing afterwards was the more and more information that we received was the fact that Lawler, who was clearly one of the most wanted men in the South and was a dead man walking, let's face it, regardless of where he lived, had decided of all places where he would seek sanctuary was on the streets of Belfast. <laughs> and that is where he would be safe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we and I spoke to people afterwards, you know, the idea that, you know, we're sitting having, you know, a gin and tonic in, you know, a bar in the cathedral and, you know, Robbie Lawler sitting three tables from you, it wouldn't have been on your radar. You just wouldn't have thought he was going to be in this area. He would have chatted you up because he was a real ladies' man. Well, I have heard that he was actively, actively stalking the streets of the cobbled streets of the cathedral quarter of Belfast. Looking for women. And telling women <laughs> that he was this big high-flying, you know, car dealer um, and flashing cash and flashing money around. Um, and obviously they had no idea who he was. I mean, you would, they wouldn't have known who they were speaking to at that stage. Um, and he clearly felt safe here. He thought this was the safe place for him to be. But would he have ever, in his wildest imagination, thought 
that those gangs who were looking at him would manage to find themselves some sort of conduit to help negotiate a deal with a criminal like Crossan in Northern Ireland to be able to take him out. I mean, he strolled up into Ardoin that morning as happy as, yeah. as Larry, thinking he was going to go in, collect a few quid, leave, and go back to, you know, his, his reasonably comfortable lifestyle that he had established for himself north of the border. The two that are charged now, when are those trials likely to happen? And do you think that ultimately that'll be all like, I mean, if the prosecution are actually saying, seriously saying that they're not investigating the the Dundon link, basically, and those three, Quincy, Bramble, Ger Dundon and Levi Killeen, who were arrested and let go, who else, where else do they go with this plot to kill? I mean, it looks as if, if they're not seriously following up that, there's nobody else to... Yeah. It's a difficult prosecution case. And I think that the fact that they have such a robust defence who, you know, have basically done a lot of investigating themselves to try and put these links together. But what you have is two people who the prosecution in no way claim were the gunman who pulled the trigger but who have both spent a considerable amount of time on remand. Our justice system here runs painfully slow. Um, you know, one of the longest cases ongoing is the, the District Republican surveillance case of Colin Duffy, Alex McCrory and Harry Fitzsimmons, which is currently in its ninth year. Like, I don't think anywhere else in, you know, these islands would you have a case ongoing for nine years. And it's no closer to conclusion at oh this point. God, as I don't give me nine years. I'll be retired yeah, at that stage. Yeah. So, yeah, well, hopefully in, in nine years time, I'd be well retired. This case here could, hasn't even left the magistrate's court yet. So um, the way the, the, the our criminal um, justice system works, it'll go for the magistrate's court. It'll be referred to the Crown. It'll be around there for a year or two as various applications are made. And then eventually you'll get a trial. You would have thought that a case like this would be in front of a non-jury um, court, but it was only a few weeks ago I was looking up the the, the legislation that we now have for non-jury trials. The Diplock trials were done away with, and what happens now is the um, Director of Public Prosecutions every two years has to renew that legislation and say if it's still needed. Clearly we still have you know, dissonant and, and paramilitary loyalist violence here, and so those Diplock courts will continue, those non-jury courts will continue but the legislation says there has to be a terrorist link to it, which there isn't in this case. It's, you know, it's purely criminality. Mm. So will this have to go in front of a jury? And what jury are going to want to sit on a case like this in such a small place as Northern Ireland? Unless they so. accept that it's narco-terrorism. Yeah, so they have to, well, they'll have to get, and that will probably be the first time, well, would be the first time actually, mm. that we would have had a case that was considered gangland criminality that's going to be heard by a non-jury trial here because they've been exclusively up until now been reserved for paramilitary mm. linked to criminality. So, That'll be interesting to see how that goes. But yeah, I mean, you're you're trying to trial two people saying, we know they didn't kill this person. Well, who did kill the person? Did you question the people who you think killed the person? And also, it wasn't that the suspects were hard to find. They were a captive audience because as we know, they were later then arrested in connection with a completely unrelated event, although an event that also had Warren Crossing <laughs> at the centre of it as well. So there you go, that was, you know, cementing the fact this that was there the was very, yeah, very strong links between these, these people. Um, and yet still, it wasn't even as if they were right, well, we can't get, you know, an arrest warrant, an extradition warrant to speak to them. They were in a UK prison on remand at the time and it would have been very easy to send officers over to, to question them. So um, I would assume, you know, given... The fact that, as you said, Barrister um, Joe Brawley, they're represented, I know, by Madeline Finucane, well, Adrian, Adrian Holland is represented by Madeline Finucane, that that's what they will be doing. You know, they will be robustly challenging this. You would expect that to be 
the main thread of the defence case. And I finally wanted to ask you, um, because I was reading something about there being, uh, certainly claims were made that there was a connection between the murder of Robbie Lawler and a murder in Newry. Um, but you can't see the connection there? No, this was during... Um, Patrick Tear, one of the, the Lawler accused, again, mm. applied for bail this week. They, You know, they regularly are planned for bail. And in the, the High Court, it was claimed this week that Mark Lovell, who was a victim of a gangland-style killing um, at the end of last year, that that was in somehow linked to this Lawler feud. No one, you know, security sources, criminal sources, no one that I have met up until this day. This is the first time I've heard this. That border feud is something completely different and very specific. It was uh-huh. one quite large criminal gang that has fractured into two smaller criminal gangs. The amount of violence being used in that. Um, I mean, one person was completely maimed at an acid attack. Another person was almost decapitated in a hatchet attack. This is a very violent gangland feud. But mm-hmm. at no point have I ever heard anyone linking it to the Lawler killing until it was raised in the High Court this week as a reason why Patrick Tears should be granted bail. The only link you could see there is the two brothers uh, involved in that feud who are originally from the Republic would have been members of the gang run by Mr. Big who ordered the killing of Lawler. But I mean, it's a little bit going around the court. It's a tenuous link by Mm. any stretch of Mm. the imagination. Um, I mean, it's, it's... to say that, you know, a mechanic from North Belfast is in some way then linked to that whenever we know who the main players are in that and we know what's going on there. Yeah. I mean, that's that's almost in terms of feuds, that's almost quite parochial. It's so small, it's such a small group of, of people um, and their names are, are known. But the amount of violence that they're inflicting on each other and that is absolutely horrendous. It seems... You'll, you'll maybe come back up up north where we're, and we'll do a podcast on that at some point. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you've been busy since the New Year as well with that dreadful murder of that girl as well, uh, over Christmas period, was not it? It's been horrendous. I mean, usually, you know, at Christmas time, there would have been, for journalists, you know, you'd have sat around the office swinging on Charlie and Quality Street. But I mean, yeah. this this year has been absolutely horrific. I yeah. mean, it's just been so one thing after another and you just feel so much for the families involved having to deal with things like that over the Christmas period. Yeah, like it's it always I mean, seems difficult worse, to deal with at any time, but... Yeah. You know, it seems to me that... Um, Sometimes, especially in this case at Robbie Lawler with what's been put before the courts in connection with the prosecutors and obviously the police here, that it seems a little bit worrying that uh, they're sticking to a particular line. And, you know, we're sitting here chatting about what is a scenario of how he was murdered and yet they're sticking to the fact that, no, nothing to see here. Yeah, I think that they're so deep into it at this point in the case. I would dread to think how much it's cost in terms of finances and resources up until this point. And this is the case that they're prepared and this is the case that they're going to run. But it still doesn't solve the problem of who murdered Robbie Lawler more. Is that person? Because while these two people are on trial for this joint enterprise um, killing in terms of what role they may or may not have played and the person who actually pulled the trigger remains at large, mm. you know, with no charges facing them in terms of this killing anyway. Wouldn't you love to know exactly what information had come from the Garda Siakona to the PSNI, which uh, was given to them before the release of the three suspects? Um, yeah. I would I would say given the sort of robustness of the defence that they have planned, that that's something that they'll be looking at. Mm. You know, and, and, you know, she said all this was raised by, the, by Joe Brawley, the barrister, um, who 
you know, is not one for, for mincing his words when he comes no, to court. Sure. So I can yeah. imagine that it's something that, you know, when this comes so to So I don't trial, have nine years reason, to wait for that, do I? Hopefully it'll not be nine no. years, but I, I, I would say two? give one. yourself two at least. Oh, really? That yeah. seems a long way away. But look, yeah, well, um, I think maybe we might get our teeth into this uh, case in a bigger way, hopefully down the road a little bit, because it really is a moment in time for, I think, for the North and the South and the the merging of what was once two separate sort of yeah. underworlds. And, um, you know, it, it, mm. it definitely does seem to be it's it's time to have a, a look again, I think, for politicians to have a look again and see if there's any way that uh, the police forces of the North and South can maybe... Well, we, do, we don't have an honesty yeah. with one another. Yeah, we don't have a, a United Ireland, and those who might campaign for it may not want this aspect of United Ireland. But in terms of the the criminals and the people that myself and you write about, mm. there is certainly no border anymore. You no, know, they're they're, they're treated as one island. Mm-hmm. Okay, Alison Morris, thank you very much. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from SundayWorld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe.